This is the Manga Mavericks podcast on allcomic.com, episode 67. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton, and hey, it looks like we have an episode for you guys this week after all. Because uh, we kind of went back and forth about uh, you know what we, what we were going to do for this week in particular, whether we were going to just uh, you know not upload anything at all, whether we were going to finally upload the Dragon Ball Super podcast we recorded long, long ago at this point. Uh, we, we had a couple of ideas as to what we were going to do, but it looks like Lum will not be able to put up the Dragon Ball Super podcast like he wanted to this week, which is a shame because uh, I, I, just like many of you, am still very much looking forward to listening to that when it comes out. Um, so instead, this week, um, we're going to kind of just move up the release of one of our episodes. Uh, something that I recorded with Maxi Bernard from Friendship Effort Victory that uh, we were going to put out next week, but I figured uh, with uh, with all the news that we're going to have to record about from Anime NYC alone and all the licenses that have just come out in the past week alone that uh, we might as well just uh, make this its own episode and just focus on news next time or whatnot. So yeah, for now, um, you're going to get to listen to a, a very awesome discussion that I had with Maxi uh, about another canceled jump comic. That's right. It's another one of those episodes. Uh, let's see. I think we discussed it in the show proper, but uh, uh, first it was Love... Actually, no. First it was Hi-Fi Cluster, then Love Rush, then Takamakahara, and now with our fourth canceled jump series... Uh, that we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about Stealth Symphony from Ryogo Narita and Yoichi Yamano. Narita, you may recognize as the author of such hits as uh, Bakano and Dirarara. Uh Again, I don't know why I'm telling you this, because we'll go over all this in the actual discussion. Um, but yeah, this was a really fun discussion I had with Maxi. Um, I really love recording these kinds of podcasts with him. And uh, I hope we could do uh, even more of them next year on the show. But yeah, until then, that's basically what you're going to be listening to this episode. Again, we will be uh, basically doing an all news episode next episode. uh, Because again, there's just there's just that much news that that has come out since the last episode. A lot of really big news, too, that we're going to be talking about in terms of new anime uh, announcements and new licenses and whatnot. A lot of big stuff coming up that you may or may not already know, but uh, we will get to it uh, when we get to it here in the future. Uh, But for now, uh, please enjoy our discussion of Stealth Symphony. And now it is that time of the year i say that like this is an annual thing i we just kind of do this whenever we whenever we want um so uh in case i didn't say it at the top of the show uh i have with me maxi bernard once again from friendship ever victory hi maxi how's it going uh hey i'm pretty good it it feels good that i i can actually be like oh yeah from friendship ever victory and it actually means more than just like a <laughs> website with nothing on it again now <laughs> it's like yeah I am from there. Things happen there again. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a podcast I do. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Um, in case I didn't say it at the top of the show, um, I I have you on once again to talk about more canceled jump series, which is uh, something I always look forward to. Actually, we're firmly digging our way through uh through all the ones that Viz have run in in their digital magazine at this point. Like we're we're a good few down, I think. Yeah, so let's see. We've covered Love Rush, Hi-Fi Cluster, and Takamagahara at this point. Um, so uh, don't be surprised if uh, if we 
I, I I'll probably reference a couple of those series here and there uh, at some point in the show. Um, if you haven't listened to any of those episodes, uh, please go listen to those. Like I said, this is um, uh, this is something I really enjoy doing for Manga Mavericks uh, with Maxi is just covering these old uh, these old series from Jump because um, I I think I mentioned on the last episode that those were basically my favorite episodes of Friendship Ever Victory is when you Maxi got to talk about uh, uh, stuff that didn't last too long in Jump that will really never ever get an English release ever. <laughs> So, you know, I, I kind of figured, no, oh, let's carry that over to Maga Mavericks. That's something I really want to do. So here we are. Um, but um, the series we're going to be talking about this time around is really interesting on a lot of levels. Because because um, at first I thought this was a – I remember this being a jump start, But, like, when I really looked back, uh, Stealth Symphony by Ryogo Narita and uh, Yoichi Yamano is what we're going to be talking about this time around. This was one of the few series that um, the Viz Shonen Jump picked up for its entire run, like literally two months before uh, Viz began their Jumpstart initiative. Yeah, they they had a, a lot of faith in this. This was um, up there with Crossmanage and Barrage, just sort of those early waves of being like, this one, this will be a hit. And kind of much like those, and Takamakahara, I guess, uh, didn't really work out. <laughs> Which is kind of wild, because um, I, I don't know how much you know about uh, Yoichi Amano. He's one of those artists that people uh, all, all over the world have expected to become a really huge name. But, like, outside of that, the authors, like, Ryogo Narita, like, one of the big deal light novel authors out there. Yeah, in case anyone uh, doesn't know, uh, Ryogo Narita, you know, having him do a series in Jump is kind of a big deal because he's also the author behind such series as uh, Dorabara and Bakano, and and so you know, I I know a lot of people uh, really like both of those series. Um, I believe both of those light novel series are available in English at this point. So if anyone wants to check those out, you should definitely do so. I personally, I um I really enjoyed the Bakano anime when I first sat down to watch that a couple years back at this point, and you know, like. I've admitted on the show that like I don't really I don't really read any light novels, unfortunately. But if I do start reading light novels at any point in the future, uh, Bakano is definitely like one of the first titles I want to check out because again, I I enjoyed the anime so much for that. Um, Maxi, I don't know uh, how how familiar are you with uh, like Have you ever seen Bakano, Dorara? Have ever read any of them? How, like how familiar are you with uh, Narita's work? I guess before you got into Stealth Symphony. Uh. Allow me to put it this way. I have read one work by Ryoko Narita. It's Stealth Symphony. <laughs> I, I I don't know why I, I've done so bad at reading it. Like, I'm aware of the Critical Reception. I've seen clips of the anime before. Uh, I've got a friend who's intent on me seeing Drurrurrurr. And I want to because it's the noise a motorcycle makes. And I think that's a great naming convention. <laughs> but, um... I've just, I've just not gotten around to it, and that feels like a shame. Um, I feel like Narita's done like some Bleach novels recently as well. Yeah, which like I I want to be all over that because I I really I really like Bleach, guys. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, but I it's been one of those things where I've just never gotten around to it before, and I I I need to correct that because I not to give too much away for this, but I really quite like Stealth Symphony and the writing in it especially. So like. I feel like I would really get along with this author's works. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as Yuichi Yamano goes, 
I had never heard of this artist, you know, before Stealth Symphony. Um, as far as anything that they've done for uh, for Shonen Jump, um, I guess the the series that he had before this was called Overtime, which uh, from the little research I did about uh, the series, uh, apparently it's uh, it involves baseball and ghosts. Uh, yeah, um, I want to say Overtime is it's the first failure of a baseball series in what has been a long line of failures for baseball series in Jump. It, it really led the way, and uh, it's it's not bad. It's about like a timid kid being taken over by a very sort of sharp delinquent kid to like play baseball. Uh, it's all right, and he also did a Akaboshi Iban Suikoden, which is. Another twist on the sort of Suikoden tales. It had art that was very reminiscent of uh, of Hoshinengi and all the sorts of work by Ryu Fujisaki. Hmm. People didn't really bite on it, and so that got cancelled too. And he's done stuff for Square, like Examurai, which was about samurais that dressed a bit like they were modern people, which was kind of odd. I, I read the whole thing of that. I cannot tell you what <laughs> happened. I have completely forgotten. And he's he's got a couple of series now. Miss Gears Blast started up earlier this year, and he's got another one that's on hiatus called uh, Anna No Magina, which ran for like four volumes on Jump Plus, went on hiatus, and then he's come back to Jump Plus going, yeah, but I'm doing a different series now. <laughs> which is a, a ballsy move. I, what, I'm, I'm trying to check my really fun chart I've made of assistance, see if there's anything interesting. And I, I think you may actually have a slight interest in Yoichi Amano's history of being an assistant, because... I want to say that he worked for uh, Hideaki Surachi, the author of Gintama. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm seeing that too, and uh, I I thought that was uh, that was kind of interesting. Um, I never would have guessed just because, like, I don't know, like it, it was easy for me to be able to tell, like, say, oh yeah, like Kenta Shinohara, like you know, when I found out, oh yeah, he used to be Surachi's assistant. Like, I could I could tell because obviously, b- between the two, like. Obviously, Shinohara has, I think, gained a lot more influence from working with Sirachi than I think Amano has, um, at least visually speaking. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Like, I, if you were to have held me at absolute gunpoint and said, who has Yoichi Amano worked for, I would have always guessed uh, Takeshi Abata, because I feel like you could draw a line between those two styles. But they, they've apparently got no connection at all, which I, I find kind of wild, because it is... His art style is somewhere between Ryu Fujisaki and a more lively version of Takeshi Abata. I could see that, yeah. I know isn't saying much because Abata's art is so incredibly stiff, but like it's the best way I can think of to describe it. And it's neat. I like it. I really like it on this series in particular. It, it nails a lot of effects that you wouldn't think would necessarily work in comics because at its core, this is a series about an invisible character. Mm, so yeah, we should probably just get started and talk about what Stealth Symphony is actually about then. So uh, Stealth Symphony is essentially about a young boy named Jig who travels to a city called Jimbocho uh, in order to find someone to help him remove a curse in the form of a device attached to his back uh, that has the ability to counter any attack thrown at him. And as you could tell, I, I have the scripted out because, man, there's a lot going on with the series. And I, I really needed something written in front of me to be able to explain what was going on because there's a lot going on. It is dense. So basically, until he can get this thing removed, uh, he seeks the help of a security company, uh, VNV, in order to protect not just himself, but mostly everyone around him because he's basically afraid of hurting people with his powers accidentally. 
and uh, as Maxi mentioned, uh, the one assigned to basically bodyguard Jig is uh, an invisible man named Troma. Basically, uh, the only way with you being able to like pick him out of the crowd is the fact that he wears a green mask uh, with a smiley face on it. It's kind of cute. But, uh, you know, the, the story kind of goes on and uh, essentially as as per the result of a failed hit put out on Jig, he finds out that the person responsible for attaching this device on him basically wants to kill him and take it back. Because as it turns out, it is an ancient artifact called a dragon heirloom, uh, one that uh, this person was basically using Jig for like as a guinea pig to basically like test its abilities out. And uh, from there, basically, Jig begins his life in J- in Jibocho, uh, finding a stable, earnest living, and meeting all sorts of new characters along the way. But things are not always as they appear. And that's how I end my uh, synopsis. I'm very proud of that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a very good synopsis. Uh, an interesting addendum to the synopsis. And uh, at this point, I have to mention, to talk about this series in any sort of real way, we have to spoil pretty much all of it, because... A lot happens. Uh, so the majority of that, that synopsis is lies. Yeah, so, like, Stealth Symphony is was really interesting to me because, like, basically, like, you know, everything everything that happens in the first chapter, like, you know, how I mentioned, like, oh, well, you know, this thing that's a- attached to Jig has the ability to counteract any attack uh, against him, which that gets changed, like, a couple of times because it goes from that to like, oh, it can only counterattack anything with like some sort of hostile intent, and then it turns out, well, that's not even really entirely true either. Yeah, like um, so the 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 this dragon heirloom in particular is eventually revealed to be something more like uh, an egg that is made to turn the person wearing it into uh, the black dragon. The the big bad dragon. Because dragons are this, this mythical force in the world. They existed before. They were all taken out. Uh, surprisingly, by characters who are in this story, despite the fact it's been a hundred years. Uh, but the whole thing is, it kind of slowly is used as a way of revealing that by having this put on him, Jig is... He's not actually the hero. If anything, he's he's the MacGuffin or even a villain at the end of the day. Like the the kid's psychotic uh, because of what's been done to him. Yeah, that was also a very interesting twist too. And and even uh, as far as trauma goes, you know, the Invisible Man we mentioned. Uh, even in the first chapter, it turns out that he's a dragon as well. So there's that. So something interesting about the series is I think it tries to to lead you along a bit to treat Jig as the main character, and he certainly is our main perspective. But what's really interesting is when this was actually serialized in Viz's Weekly Shonen Jump, uh, both authors were given a chance to leave a comment. And they both pretty much said that Troma is the actual main character, which kind of, uh, it, it, it paves the way a little bit for your, like, for your expectations, but I think still doesn't actually give away any of the twists and turns that are coming. Which is a uh, which is really neat, and Troma is how can I put it? But Troma's a really interesting and frustrating character to have at the center of a comet. Yeah. So he's an invisible dragon, which in turn makes him an invisible man because dragons can turn into a human-like form. But it's not he's invisible; it's that he's hollow, and this is both a literal met- and metaphorical thing. He's empty of experiences and desires and wants and treats everyone as equal in his eyes and just wants to help them reach their dreams because he feels it fills him somewhat inside. And the thing is, 
not a single word of that is supposed to be treated positively. And as you get through the series, you realize that this is a massive criticism of people who, not so who don't take sides, but who don't form their own actual opinions and desires, because ultimately the way they regard others is is worthless. And that's that's wild. This is this is Shonen Jump, the world of again friendship, effort, and victory, and it has those elements to the story. But it's it's incredibly critical of the way that these sorts of stories work. I mean, like your average uh, Shonen Jump protagonist believes in the good of everyone. That's why every like villain eventually becomes some sort of hero. I mean, that that's the the, the Vegeta deal, even. Uh, and and this pretty much turns around at the end of the day and says like. No, you, you've got to understand some things are bad. <laughs> Which, that, that shouldn't be revolutionary. <laughs> but the, the fact that I can't think of many other series that actually sit down and say, like, hey, you, you need a value system. Like, it's madness to me. And I feel like that would have resounded really well if it didn't spend, like, half of its run meandering around doing nothing. Yeah, like, I don't know. Um... <laughs> It is really interesting that, like, uh, the series is so critical of that kind of thing when, I don't know, like, like on, on one hand, like, um, I can't think of, I can't think of too many Shonen Jump series that take that kind of stance, but also at the same time, like, as, as little as I've seen of Narita stuff, um, so I, I can't say that, like, I'm an authority on his, his writing or, like, the kind of, uh, subject matter he tackles. <laughs> Um, but I, I feel like I'm not super surprised because it feels like something, it feels like something only Narita would, uh, would tackle in a jump series. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's kind of an interesting thing you get out of having novelists write manga for jump because, uh, Nisio Rissin, when he was doing Mandaka Box as well, oh, yeah. I think he went the, he went the polar opposite direction to this rather than like making a point of criticizing characters who stand for nothing. He made a point of, uh, of of just picking apart the entire way that uh that the shonen sort of demographic works with a lot of its action series, the way it will lionize certain events that by basically going, Yeah, but does any of it matter every arc? And each time the answer is not really. Uh I feel kinda bad for reading it. <laughs> not not to criticize Medaka Box, it's easily in my top ten like comics of all time. But I I think Stealth Symphony kinda I by being shorter, it manages to make its own particular criticisms a lot easier to to digest and appreciate. Yeah, something I um I guess as long as we're talking about the length of Stealth Symphony, um the the thing that really surprised me about the series, and I, I should probably I should, probably should have prefaced, um I did used to read Stealth Symphony weekly when it was first running in the Vision and Jump, and I, I think it was around uh, near the end of that first arc, where uh, basically Jig is hired by the uh, the cyborg soldier school to uh, basically help them rescue a bunch of uh, people that are basically going to be sold as like slaves or whatnot. I think it was around the end, like literally. I think like the chapter before the last chapter of that arc was around the point where I stopped reading it because I I kind of lost interest in it. And um, I'm sure we could talk a little bit more about that as we go uh, as we go along. But um, so 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 th- this was my first time like reading it all the way through. So I had I had no idea what to expect as far as the ending of the series went, because you know uh, when we covered a uh, Takamakahara last time, you know you know as as much as we 
or I guess I should say, as much as I really wanted to like Takuma Kahara, at the end of the day, like, the fact that it just kind of ends, but also at the same time starts presenting all these ideas that uh, the series wanted to do, but is never going to act on, like, that kind of left me feeling pretty underwhelmed, and, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's because of that that I can't say, I can't, like, it, it keeps me from saying, being too positive about that series. Uh, but still, Symphony does not have that problem mostly no it, it does the opposite it literally resolves every single possible plot it can think of at once and it's it doesn't feel rushed it's like terrifyingly competent at wrapping up every storyline it started i only slightly disagree in that i do feel like compared to other cancelled series that i've read in jump like uh this one probably has the most satisfying ending i've seen but I also feel like at the same time, like, you can clearly tell that, like, Narita had some bigger ideas as to where he wanted to take the story. Like, there's this whole th uh, underlying thing where, like, it's very subtly hinted at that, like, the world of Stealth Symphony, or I guess the, I guess the world of Jimbocho, you know, isn't our world that, like, you know, like, with the characters like Master, the, uh, the, the female ninja... You know, she talks about how, like, one day she was in the middle of a battle with a sorcerer in Saitama, and now suddenly she's here. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the series literally ends by having the characters go to the other universe, which turns out to just be contemporary Japan, which is, like, is is kind of odd. There's, there's so much stuff that could have happened with this if it kept going. And uh, I think Master and Slice were, were the two big sort of leads for that. But they, it didn't feel necessarily open. It's just that you knew that if there was more of this, there there was definitely more that could have been done. Yeah. Um. So while while I do feel like, you know, as far as the resolution, as far as any resolution for this series goes, like I like I felt like it had a satisfying conclusion, but I think it still felt rushed in a way where it's like, I like, what was it? I think around chapter eighteen is when like we get like so much info dump about like. You know, uh, how Jig is, like, the key to this underground arc that all the dragons are going <laughs> to use to, like, go to the human world or whatever. And how, like, oh, the fact that there are different alternate universes with different cultures and languages and whatnot. Like, basically spending an entire chapter just explaining, like, yeah, this is basically what I wanted to do. Um, so, like, I, I feel like in... In a way, it kind of had the same problem that Takama Kahara did, but the only difference being that, like, things still, like, the story felt like it still had a satisfying conclusion. It didn't just leave you with a bunch of ideas, like, it still resolved the story that it was telling. A, a part of me always imagines the world where they didn't waste time with the human trafficking storyline, and, like, leapt into all the, the crazy reveals sooner. And, like, if it had run 20 chapters with that sort of length, it genuinely could have been, like, one of the one of the best Jump comics. Because, I mean, we, we alluded to it a bit earlier, but Stealth Symphony has one really kind of mediocre arc, and you can, you can feel when it ends that they've been told the series is getting cancelled. Like, it literally, it has a chapter end and then inserts uh, a 0.5 chapter in between pretty much just to be like, here's the big reveals, let's start doing some actual plot. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I, I guess looking back, that's definitely an easy point where you could be like, yeah, the, the series doesn't have much, much longer. But like, I don't know, like, it, it felt weird because like, you know, Slice, I think, could have been the antagonist of his own arc. Like, it felt kind of 
I don't know, somehow to me it felt kind of weird that like he and um uh, I guess uh, the orphanage director that uh we end up uh getting the reveal that you know basically comes back into the story and plays a bigger role with the dragon uprising and what whatnot. It felt kind of weird that like they were working together almost. Like I really feel like they could have been their own separate antagonists. Like they could have had, they could have been the antagonists to their own arcs, and then maybe eventually down the line, then maybe they could team up and it would make more sense. Uh, that's just how it felt to me. No, no, I totally agree with that feeling. Um, Slice to me is simultaneously the most exciting part of this series, and the part where I, I really wish they'd properly given him his own storyline dealing with uh dealing with the vampire lady and stuff because because that feels like a really significant plot and it's not that it necessarily stops it's just that it doesn't have anywhere to go because they get wrapped up in this uh in the big dragon uh revival and arc storyline instead which is fine but like slice is really intriguing as villains go like he's pretty much entirely amoral and more obsessed with his own uniqueness being taken away than actually being a villain yeah but he's still definitely bad because like he will he's filled himself with life to the point of being able to wound himself to make millions now like exploding people from the inside with cash because that's the thing uh his, his power is that if he's cut he generates money Oh my god, that that was like one of the best things in this entire series. The the deaths in this series are really gruesome. Oh yeah, no, well, with the exception of one, but we'll come to that later. Um, but they they are just really full on, and and that's kind of exciting in its own way. I don't feel like you get that uh, a lot in Jump, at least not in sort of the the post noughties Jump. Like, um, I think the thing that first shocked me like the most was. Um, because again, this this was this was like around the point I I stopped reading it weekly, but like the that very last chapter of the first arc, which you know I I do agree that like it's not great, and um, I think you were saying on Twitter that it was probably the reason that uh, it ultimately got canceled in the first place. Mm. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll give it credit that like I thought the mystery as to like. You know, because cause the whole thing is that, like, you know, uh, the, the the basically the company that is, you know, hoarding all of these people and transporting them, you know, uh, I guess the leader of the company is, like, mixed in with these people because their hobby is basically, you know, seeing people get – basically get their hopes up and then just seeing uh, – basically trying to pinpoint the moment where they're, like, dashed and they kind of revel in that uh, – in that despair. Oh, it's really – it's really twisted. Yeah. And there's sort of a mystery as to, like, um, well, I guess not mystery so much as, like, there's a bit of misdirection as to, like, who is the chairman, right? Because, like, we're we're kind of, Narita kind of, like, intentionally leads us to believe that it's this little boy um, at first, but then we find out, oh, it's this, it's this mermaid chick. Which I, I feel like ends up being a really good twist on a lot of plots that you get with mermaids as well, because they fulfilled like two main roles in fiction of either being a sort of a luring men to their death storyline or like constant con the constant process of being like enslaved and captured by other people. It's really weird that you can kind of divide one fantasy race into those two categories of story, but it it really is the main thing you get, and it's a it's a nice sort of um a nice twist on it all. And and the actual backstory of the the mermaid woman is uh real real dark. Oh yeah. Um. I I also really like Narita's ability to like 
tell an entire character's backstory in one page and it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like he's cramming too much info almost like it feels digestible somehow yeah like for for a novelist he's got a really good sense of the uh, the economy of comic storytelling which i mean a, a lot of people who who write for artists especially in jump uh don't have that skill like Sugimi Oba needs like a big old stamp on his head saying cannot write for comics not that his writing's bad <laughs> but like he, he's a really big contrast because that's someone who's not a novelist and yet writes novels in front of the art and then you've got an actual novelist like Narissa who's really letting the art breathe and speak for itself a lot but also still giving you a million bits of information all the time <laughs> yeah i i totally agree like narita really feels like he understands comics better comparatively uh which i really enjoy but um kind of going back to that first arc you know uh the the twist with uh, the chairman being the mermaid you know that that was already a pretty well done twist but then like you know, as it turns out, that little boy that was uh, so heavily featured at one point, you know, turns out to be a part of the Assassin's Guild, which I feel like are a really interesting, like, are a really interesting, like, group of characters that I really wish we could have seen more of. Or at the very least, like, I like if this series had had a longer length, like, I would have loved to see more of them. I mean, you've got like four main companies that, that really, they somehow all turn out to be involved in this storyline. And um, I, I feel like you could really do a lot with all of them, but the, the Assassin's Guild in particular, there's so much potential for their weird sort of rule set. Um, and, and this little boy as well, it has to be said. First of all, his power is kind of crazy because it involves like skeletons pulling people into black holes. But also he's got the worst hair I've ever seen in a comic. <laughs> it, like, it, it, it's like he's someone's planted like a, an oddish in his head or something. Like he's got normal hair and just these couple of long strands of grass coming out the top. It's really weird. Yeah, that that's pretty weird. But um, but no, yeah, that was that was kind of one of the first moments that like really shocked me. Was like, what what's her name? Waves. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, is about to like start her attack. You know, once she's already been like clearly she's been defeated but she i think she's about to attack but then like you just hear something crunch and like next panel is like literally her broken arm with bones sticking out and everything like it's oh yeah it's pretty gory almost <laughs> um and then you just see her being pulled from the mouth like into this black hole by a bunch of skeleton hands and it's like i wouldn't want to meet this kid in the dark alley like that was legitimately terrifying <laughs> And I, I love that stuff. I, f I feel like as much as I've said that the arc almost definitely got it cancelled, and I mean, you're you're kind of the proof in the pudding for this column because that's around where you stopped reading the first time. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, yeah, but like, it it still totally has this thing that's really strong about self Stealth Symphony in that it's every twist feels not necessarily smart, but you, you don't see it coming and it still makes sense. Yeah, it, like it doesn't feel like it just comes out of nowhere. Um, which, like, I think there's definitely a point where, like, uh, the, like, you could kind of feel the twist starting to pile up, and kind of my theory as to maybe another reason why it got cancelled was because maybe the twist just got to be too much, and maybe it, it, cause it feels like it kind of gets to a point where, like, there's so many twists upon twists upon twists that, like, you, you almost kind of lose track of the story a little bit. I, I think that's kind of fair. Like, I, I think it might just be that I'm a sucker for this sort of storytelling where it turns everything on its head. But like, 
I I found the twists were the only things really keeping me engaged. <laughs> and I mean, like and I, I, I agree with that. I'm, I'm just yeah. saying that, like, but it it definitely could turn, especially a lot of the younger readers. Like, I could see it turning them away. Oh, I like I cannot imagine being like what ten years old reading Shonen Jump and being able to keep up with any of this at all. And like, and, and some of the twists are really weird. Like, uh, like the chief of the the VMV Corporation turning out to go and be the uh, the legendary hero who dealt with the dragons, and the police chief turning out to be like someone who fought alongside him. Like that, when you have that twist as well, you start thinking, okay, now we're getting a few too many. Yeah, just just a lot of really weird twists like that it i don't know like that's the thing i like the twists a lot and i agree with you that they were kind of the only thing really keeping me engaged but like i said at the same time i could just imagine you know other people getting turned off because it's like okay well i I could see maybe like people being like oh this has too many twists or trying too hard or whatever i don't know not that i necessarily agree i'm just i'm just saying just putting myself in the shoes of somebody who maybe kind of got tired of stealth symphony and Ultimately, well, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. I think part of understanding why a, a series is cancelled it does involve having to like even run counter to your own tastes. Exactly. Because like I, I, I mean, I have this a lot whenever I think about things like Hoopman. To me, that's the perfect Shonen Jump comic. But I understand every single reason why people looked at that, and said, "Oh, no, this is crap," and it got cancelled in seventeen weeks. Like you, you, you have to slightly remove yourself from the picture when working out why readers didn't care and. I mean, there's probably plenty of reasons people wouldn't have cared about Self-Symphony. It just feels a bit like a shame. Mm. Honestly, I feel like I feel like Stealth Symphony probably would have maybe done better if it weren't in Jump, almost. I almost want to say it would have done really well in Jump Square. Probably, maybe. But it's really hard to know because that magazine's kind of a, a bit of a mess when it comes to working out what audiences want. Like, maybe even Young Jump, but then I feel like then it would be aiming too old. Mm, maybe. So it's weird. It, it feels enough like a Shonen Jump series that I'm like, yeah, it belongs here, but it's also not enough of the sort of Shonen Jump series it would have needed to be to actually be successful. Like, I almost feel like it's too dense for, like, I guess the core audience of Shonen Jump. I mean, I'll, I'll say this now. If it came out under the current state of Shonen Jump, I feel like it would actually do pretty well. Yeah, I I could see that. I could I could see it maybe doing better now, but like with with the goalposts moved enough that we've got things like uh like Act Age and Doctor Stone and the Promised Neverland, which are all really atypical jump series that have been given the time to actually thrive and grow. I feel like this would actually live perfectly fine alongside those. Mm, hell, I mean, even if even if Stealth Symphony were to be like taken out of jump, like maybe it could have also ran in like Jump Plus or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I I would have really liked it if this like continued as novels or something as well. Like that that's what it would take to really get me on board with narrative novels. Is of of I think a world that's this this rich and dense would probably lend itself pretty well to being in a uh, in prose. Mm. At the same time, as I was reading Stell Symphony, I couldn't help but uh, keep thinking about uh, Blood Blockade Battlefront because this series really feels like that series, but written by Narita almost. You know, I was trying to think about this the other day. I was like, because I really didn't like it at first. Um, it took till the twists uh, really started going after that uh, after that human trafficking art for me to suddenly be like, oh yeah, this works. And now you've said it, I think the reason I didn't like it might have been because of Blood Bacade Battlefront. 
Because that had started, yeah, that started in 2009. That was several years before this. And, like, the thing is, the way Stealth Symphony opens feels like it is very much ripping off Stealth Symphony. Nope. Blob, okay, Battlefront. My brain shut down halfway there for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it feels like Stealth Symphony's rip- ripping off Blood Bouquet Battlefront at first. But then when everything starts to really be, like, turned on its head and messed around with a bit, like, I don't think it could be more different if it tried. But on the face of it, if you if you read that first chapter, you'll just be like, oh, it's one of these series. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, but no, I mean, I think a, a reason why I love Stealth Symphony and... Uh, why I really enjoyed Blood Bacate Battlefront, even though I've, I've only seen the anime for it, um, is I really like these worlds where, like, you just have a bunch of different creatures just kind of coexisting. Like, I think, you know, that's obviously an element of certain series I love, such as Gintama, even though Gintama really doesn't act on that element too much at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um... Yeah, now you mention it, it, it's kind of just there when they need it, isn't it? Like, there's literally a joke at one point where, like, one of the characters is, like, reading off a Wikipedia article about Gintama, and it mentions a comment from Sirachi about how, like, he just can't be bothered to come up with new Amato designs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, um, no, like, I think that's something where we haven't really talked about with Stealth Symphony, is that, like, not every character is human, like, there are all sorts of like different creatures and monsters like like coexisting together but they also make it a point to mention how like yeah they all like work together uh and all but like they like after work's done like they essentially like kind of go back to their own species which i find kind of interesting like it's an integrated society but it seems like everyone still has their own sort of lines drawn between them all which which is kind of wild but i mean like to to give you an idea like the police chief is a dark-skinned elf the the sort of style of one I see drawn a lot by, uh, I'm trying to find a good way of not just saying pornographers, pervier artists on Twitter, right? Like, genuinely, it, it's, it's, she's so played to type. Yeah. Like, to the point that, like, her police uniform is pretty much fucking, like, lace and latex when it wants to be, which is, you know, that's kind of rad in its own way, but also very odd to see in a book aimed at teenagers. Uh, like, the, the, the head of the B&V company is, like, a, a proper small goblin man. Uh, I mean, we've said it before, but Troma's both an invisible man and a dragon. Uh, like, they, they tick off the boxes to the point where it's actually kind of refreshing and odd that Master is just a Japanese girl. <laughs> And then you have, like, Alice Nijigami, who we mentioned earlier is just a vampire. Uh, her her powers are interesting, though, because, like, using her, like, vampiric powers, she can basically take whoever abil- whoever's ability she just bit from. Which is why, like, Slice is after her, because of that. You know, she obviously bit him at one point and took his power to basically create money, so... And the thing is, like, it's not necessarily given, like, a big moral judgment that she does this, because clearly she takes a lot of them from pretty bad people. Like, again, Slice, I love him, he's a bad person. Very bad, yes. Um, But at the same time, like, it, it still acknowledges that what she's doing and how she does it is pretty wrong and messed up in its own way. But But she also took powers from a guy who, like, takes photos of this girl and blends them into smoothies? Or fruit drinks or whatever. Oh yeah, how have I not mentioned this about about slice? That's like that's that's such a weird quirk. Well, it's not even that. I think the main what everything about slice is pure quirk. He goes along with the big bad enemy's plot just because he wanted to see what would happen. Like <laughs> he takes near fatal blows in the knowledge he'll survive because he's overflowing with life. Um, like just to see 
like how much cash comes out of him basically like the the dude is properly screwed up but like they initially presented him like blending up photos of alice as a thing of being like oh yeah i've integrated her her photo because i hate her yeah but then she starts offering it to he starts offering it to other people as a drink and he's like oh it's just really nice with a photo in this drink <laughs> i just need a little fiber <laughs> I gen- genuinely there's a lot of characters I could call my favorite in this series. I really like. Uh, is it is it Raker, the the girl with the eyes? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I really like her. I, I like the boy who's got the cyborg wolves that represent his emotions. Uh, Cult Yuki Mia. Yeah, amazingly, I've saved loads of screen caps, but I've saved very few that have the actual names of the characters on, and it's driving <laughs> me up the wall. Yeah, I, I really, I, I really um, liked him too. Um, I mean, at first he he didn't seem super interesting to me during the um, during the first arc, but you know we we learn later on because all throughout the first arc, you know, because his whole thing is he basically trains these like cybernetic wolves or whatever, and uh, all throughout that arc, they're base like his wolves are basically giving Jig words of encouragement or whatever. But then we find out that like basically you know Cold and his wolves are their brainwaves are connected or whatever. And he, he saves all of his like other emotions for, uh, for the wolves. That's like, that's how he expresses his emotions, which I thought added a really like sort of relatable, um, a uh, little layer to his character. Almost. It makes it feel like a bit of a shame that they didn't use him more because that, that sort of twist on the like really cool stoic character, uh, makes me think of a lot of stuff like, you know, in black clover mm-hmm. where like, they they present this cool exterior almost because they can't help it because like all other emotions are used elsewhere, <laughs> and like I, I I really like that as an idea. Um, but even with cats like him who are amazing, like uh, Slice still kind of wins out for me just about. But I I don't think I think there's only one character I don't really like, and I think that was kind of by design. Uh, Troma. Uh, I, I said this a bit earlier about him being a hollow person like there's there's no desires or wishes or real emotional stakes for Troma himself because he's a he's a hollow man or a hollow dragon I feel like if the series had had a longer lifespan I feel like Narita could have maybe could have maybe like taken the chance to explore his character as far as that goes oh, totally and and they do they do give it an, an amazing bit of work towards the end um I mean, explicitly with with Slice rebuking his entire existence. If I can quickly find the panels, yeah, and even like, um, and even Jig kind of gets in on it too, almost, which I thought was, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Um, like here we go. So there's all sorts of stuff towards the end. It's so dense with it all, but like Slice keeps pretty much saying like, "There's nothing inside you," and. And whenever he says this sort of stuff to Troma, the art goes completely wild and crazy and starts distorting. Because, like, the the realization that there's nothing to him and that he's not needed, whether it's said by Slice or Troma, like, d- it breaks everything. Panels start moving out of line, the art loses its control. And, and I, I really love that as an effect. And both Slice and Jig really get to the point of it. Uh, Jig says, like, I don't think you're really thinking of others, Troma. Not me, not Alice, not even yourself. Uh, and and Slice puts it the best to me. He for someone who tries to like observe and help the people around him, he can't see those around him because it's a uh, if everything has equal value to you, it's almost like saying you don't care about anything in the world. Uh, and that as a single speech bubble, as a single quote, is quite possibly the most amazing criticism of centrist politics that I've ever read in a comic aimed at teenagers. <laughs> because at the, at the end of the day, like I. 
it, it's such a powerful message to it, and it's almost blitz past in the in like the push to finish the whole story. Like you can't have characters who stand for nothing because you just start getting really annoyed at their their lack of conviction or or anything within them. Like uh, in the human trafficking, I I got really kind of wound up by Troma because I mean he was helping the human traffickers and whatever it's a job, but his his way of interacting with others of being like, oh no, I think it's great they're doing this and that you're doing this. You all believe in doing a thing, and I'm just like, I to to someone who's very uh, I my my principles are almost very much carved in stone. Like, I I believe the things I believe to the point of sometimes being very irritating. I won't lie about that. Like seeing a character with just such a lack of uh, any substance to them as a deliberate design choice is a massive wind up. And and it pays off. It pays off really well. But there, there is like a, a good chunk in the entire middle of this comic up until they really criticise Troma's way of living where I just really fucking hate him. See, I, I, I definitely thought it was annoying at parts too, but... um. You know, when, when we're first introduced to the character, it, it just seemed kind of sad more than anything because, like, we we find out in the beginning that like uh, that trauma was essentially like an experiment. Like the other dragons, like basically created him as a way to like uh, to basically win this war against uh, against uh, against the humans or whatever or whoever they were fighting. Yeah, they they wanted him to be a perfect assassin, but like. I think almost because he lacked substance, he just didn't have it in him to do it. Yeah, which I think is kind of interesting. So, like, Troma's essentially living this life where, like, like he, he, like, I think you could probably make the assumption that, like, he probably feels like he has nothing to live for other than living vicariously through other people, which I think in a way is, like, really depressing. Oh, no, totally. I think uh, a really good design choice on the part of the creators is to have the, uh, the mask he wears so people know where he is have this permanent fixed uh like closed lipped smile on it yeah it's one of those things it seems friendly when they want it to but any other time you look at it it's it's empty yeah it looks empty it looks lonely it looks like it looks like a facade like a mask like literally yeah <laughs> and i i think that's really interesting and I, I think for me this always comes down to the fact that that i really think that human trafficking art could have been like a couple of chapters instead of going on as long as it did which wasn't even that long. I just don't like it. Um, I feel like if they hadn't have made it so frustrating for so long to deal with him as that level of character, he could have really developed nicely. And I mean, and he does at the at the very end of the story. Like he's, I mean, he's cursed somewhat with Jig's existence, which we'll explain in a bit. But like, he's at least filled himself with something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess we can just get to that now. Um, so if, if you don't want to be spoiled for this, maybe, maybe skip a minute or two. So yeah, this was definitely like the most surprising twist in the entire series for me was that, you know, cause essentially we find out that like Jig is, um, sort of like the, almost kind of like the reincarnation of like the legendary black dragon. And, um, you know, he's, he's obviously at this point where like, he's not himself, he's transforming, and uh you know he's attacking all of his friends and like they have like no way to stop him and then uh the best character in the entire series um soya who who's been a pretty big character throughout the series as he's the vice president of the assassins guild just comes in slices his head off and ultimately just kills jig who we just kind of assume is our main character is just off he's just dead 
and that's it. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and, and the, <laughs> the wild part of this is it. So we, we've not actually talked about Sawyer much because everything about him really relates to this twist. He's kind of just like he, he's an assassin and a bakery shop owner <laughs> uh, for most of the story. That's our knowledge of him. And then at the very last minute, it turns out that he is kind of the main character. He was the original person they fitted this uh, this black dragon heirloom onto to try and like egg him up, and he he died. He completely failed in the tests, and he was brought back as an undead. Essentially, with the plan in mind being that whoever was next, he'd be able to be an assassin and kill them. And he does, but not not necessarily because he wants to, but because he was requested to by Jig, who has some small amount of himself left as a as a person. It like even by the start of Stealth Symphony, it's worth mentioning the the Jig you see is a, a front that he himself is not aware of. Like he's writing to his sister as the main plot device uh, of like introducing all the concepts. His sister's dead, and it's at least partially his fault. Like. All the letters he sends turn out to be in his drawer with, like, return to sender things on them. He's responsible for the death of several other kids in his own town, and he justifies anything he's done by lying to himself that it's not really happened and just carries on with his day. Like, Jig is genuinely disturbing to read about as soon as you realise that he's not who he seems as a main character. (laughs) Yeah, that definitely caught me off guard the first time that was revealed to me, and man it like just just seeing him like because you know essentially like and i mean i don't know like i i almost feel sorry for him because you know obviously because this thing is attached to him you know it's it's basically his life support system but like you know because of its abilities and stuff you know like everybody in his town is like afraid of him and basically just shuns him and these just this group of assholes decide hey let's just burn his house down which is pretty fucked up honestly um and it's obviously because of that that like his entire family dies but you know because of the uh because of his dragon heirloom's ability like he finds out where the fire came from and he just like straight up murders these three kids oh he like grabs he grabs a beam of wood and mushes one of them into paste like on panel <laughs> just like on screen too like, they don't bother to hide it or nothing just like just right on screen, just kill a kid, and it's like, wow. It's, <laughs> it's not even presented as, like, this massive dramatic moment. Like, it, it's got, like, some speed lines and sound effects or whatever to it, but it, it's literally told like any other part of the story. It's very matter-of-fact of just, and then he crushes them to pace. Like, it, it's really fucked up, and I love it. Um, and, like, and this defense mechanism of him lying kind of keeps it hidden, but... Of course, the the one other person who knows what his deal is, without Jig even knowing, is Sawyer for the most part, because he was the first one to wear this. He knows what the deal is. He knows it's not counterattacks, but lies to Jig saying, oh yeah, it is, but it's murderous intent. Look. Which kind of perpetuates this, this lie in his head, which is what enables him to keep going. But then Sawyer turns around, reveals who he really is like does a big old beheading and everything kind of just returns to normal with the dragons having failed which (laughs) which when you say it like that makes it sound really sudden but it really just becomes kind of a matter of fact of oh you've stopped our plans now i guess we're done (laughs) which is like which is what would happen like when your when your evil plan fails and you've got no other things to do all you can do is give up really yeah like i mean what else are you supposed to do like you know, you don't really feel like hanging out. You might as well just go home. 
But yeah, no, Sawyer hands down is uh, the best character in this series in a lot of ways, despite not getting a lot of time with him because everything he does is interesting. Like even even like just going away from his role in the story, like I like he's just an interesting personality on his own. Yeah. Like, I, I, Jolly Assassins don't feel like the rarest character type by any means, but it's a really interesting take on that sort of character. It's just, like, between his personality and, like, his day job, essentially, just he just owns a bakery, and it's literally called, it's literally called Assassin Bakery. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I mean, first of all, I mean, the main thing I love about it is that it's his hobby, because, like, I, I feel like it gets missed a lot when you've got characters in these sort of fantasy guilds and stuff that they have a life outside of it but the main times you really get to see him uh, uh just him with his hobby of being like yeah i've got this bakery what are you gonna do about it <laughs> and um i even love his like back and forth with uh with trauma and how like a jovial and polite they are with each other there's a point where like they're visiting the bakery and like they just kind of start clashing uh with each other and like you know, obviously, trauma being himself is just kind of like, okay, I agree with everything you're saying. Hey, let's meet up for lunch. Okay, whatever. Or, you know, I forget exactly how the conversation goes. But it just turns into, like, the nicest conversation ever. But they're still, like, they're still, like, fighting with each other. And it's, like, the best thing. <laughs> also, I love that his weakness is cockroaches. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, it, it feels like this, like, kind of typical manga goose in its own way with that but it it's really neat because he's so impenetrable in every other way and like his response to the cockroach isn't just like oh i'm scared of them it's like he starts acting like he's dying coughing up like that and be like the mayor is not who they see I, I love i love that moment of him just like noticing a cockroach and it kind of like takes him a second <laughs> like I, yeah. I thought the comedic timing on that was pretty great actually um yeah i mean the, actually the, the comedic timing on this whole series is like fairly solid for i, I keep going to call it an action series but it's really hard to categorize it it doesn't necessarily defy genre but it's it's not really tied down that much to any particular thing another one of my favorite um comedic moments in the series is where like uh Rika is essentially like she's uh kind of spying on jig you know with the intent of like recruiting him to their company or whatever and she makes a comment about how like oh hey is it like it's okay if i just rip this thing off this guy and take a spine with me right and the the guy she's talking to over the phone i, I think it's it's probably hank uh, the guy who actually runs the company is like dude what is wrong with you <laughs> I mean, quick, quick side note, Hank is literally just a dinosaur man, and there's no depth to him, but he's still a beloved character, because, like, he's literally just a dinosaur man who can punch really hard. That's it. And that's great. Yeah, I mean, what else do you really need? I, I don't... Exactly. Like, I, I don't care if he's just a tool for exposition, like... Mm. And I mean, and and again, you, you actually get, like, several good jokes out of this whole thing where Rekha's observing Jig at first. Because, like, she's following him and, like, her, her eye cameras, which what she used to spy, like, these little floating drones, like, literally turn around on themselves because they're following Jig to her. Yeah, I, I thought that was kind of cute. She's like, it was, it was real fun. But, man, yeah, this, this series is, like, honestly... And I was thinking while I was while I was going through my uh, second read through, I guess is um, you know if if this series really picked up back then, like every chapter is so dense. Like I just I just kept thinking to myself, man, if this series got popular enough, there would be at least one podcast 
dedicated to just just this series because i feel like i feel like if you really wanted to like this series really kind of opens up for that kind of podcast where like every week you're just kind of theorizing about what's going to happen next and like trying to guess the next twist or whatever like i feel like it's dense enough for that kind of thing yeah i i could i could definitely see that uh i, I also think it's it's the sort of world that's uh, well developed enough as well that I'm I'm surprised there isn't just like a, a fan fiction community surviving out of it and that like because you could literally take a single idea from this and expand it in your own little hairs and and that would that would be rad and it just it didn't happen because it wasn't popular enough but it, this has a lot of potential well had a lot of potential and see that's the thing with this compared to like every other series we talked about so far is that like. Like, it feels like there's still a bit of lost potential because it ended way earlier than it was meant to. But, like, like Narita still gave us a pretty satisfying ending, all things considered. Like, it's almost like he took it as a challenge. Yeah, like, it it, it, it says a lot to his skill as, as a writer that he managed to make cancellation work for him. <laughs> as weird a sentence as that is. And um, it's kind of a shame that we've not really seen more manga written by him because I, I feel like I feel like there's so much more stuff he could do like this that'd be really great. You know, I was just thinking also like Hi-Fi Cluster had the same problem too, where it's like, oh well, we just got the we just got the uh, memo that we're getting canceled. Let's 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 speed up the rest of our story essentially or whatever. Let's start start tackling storylines that we probably wouldn't have tackled for a, for a while, you know. Whereas you know, with Hi-Fi Cluster, I don't, I don't think that ended as satisfyingly as this, unfortunately. Hey, you know, you know what's kind of wild as a sort of connecting thread here. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure when we talked about Hi-Fi Cluster, something that came up was how much it was like Blood Brigade Battlefront. <laughs> no, because I, um, what was it? I think I mentioned, um, it, it was because the the one of the characters in that, um, I forget his name now, uh, the one with the goggles. Yeah, like the main kid is like is like Leo, right? Yeah, yeah. That, I I think that was the connection there. Um, outside of that, I think um I think that was the only connection with uh Triple B there. But I mean, like you know, the, like Stealth Symphony, you can make the case that like these have a lot of the same like uh ideas, like visually, like kid comes to town and you know wants to make a life for himself. Uh, he also has a sister that he writes to. Um, you know, just stuff like that. Yeah, the, the the sister thing, as much as it made for a great reveal, that literally made it feel a bit like plagiarism at first. Almost, but I mean, the the like like you said, there was still a good twist to that, so I I appreciated that. Um, also, one other thing that I thought was kind of interesting that I'm not sure is a fault with the English translation because you know they only know as much as they're reading at the time, or like if this is actually a retcon, but like. There is a point during the first arc where Jig mentions uh, the orphanage director refers to her as as male. Wait, is that because ge- genuinely I was going through all the chapters with this in mind, trying to see if I could spot it, and I swear to God, I did not notice. Yeah, um, I'd have to look up the chapter, but it, it's it's like right before the raid on the trailer. I th- I think around the chapter where like he first interacts with Cult or whatever. Uh, which whatever chapter that is, he he does refer to the director as a he. When we obviously find out that uh, the director is a she, and that's that's supposed to be another big twist or whatever. I I feel like you could probably do like a really good no prize out of that by just being like um 
<laughs> well, Jig's crazy. What does he know? <laughs> I mean, you could. But like, I mean, they, they, oh, it's a shame if they did mess that up, because I was really impressed at first as to how it was almost entirely gender-neutral referral, like, all the way up to the big reveal. But, but see, that But see, that, that also begs the question, like, is that a fault on the translator, maybe, for maybe just, like, assuming that, like, the director was male? I think the thing is, it, it was probably kept, like, uh, the, the the way uh, gender pronouns and stuff work in Japanese is kind of a complete fucking nightmare, so it's hard to be sure. But um, but I, I, I think a lot of it would probably just come down to the fact that neither the translator nor the editor would really have much back and forth with the... Um, with the Japanese production team. And so like that it it wouldn't have really been made clear, I imagine. I'm I'm sure anyone who actually worked on it would know better than us. But with what little information they had, I think they mostly did okay. And it's it's kind of a shame to to learn now that they may have fucked it up. I mean, you know, I wanna think it was something on the English side, but like I, I guess you never really know for sure, but I mean it feels like a planned twist. Because like the the director, they're, they're presented all in shadow all the time, but their their body because uh, they're wearing like this big old lab coat and a thick jumper in all flashbacks. Like it it kind of makes it so there's no real signifiers to decide if they're a man or a woman either way. So I I feel like it was planned. I mean I I, I would I would say the same thing honestly. Like I'd be surprised if it wasn't. And yet the the weird thing is it's it still surprised me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I I wasn't expecting that either. Which I probably says more about our default expectations for uh, what sort of person works in what sort of role, and that's a shame in its own way. But like when I got to it, I had to stop and go back to like be like, really, was this not confirmed? <laughs> um, so some something else that like I kept thinking all throughout uh, the series was um, does slice kind of look like a combination of um. Of Crowley Lucifer from Hunter Hunter and Crocodile from One Piece to you, or is that just me? Thank you. <laughs> I've been trying to work out. I've been trying to work out who he's been reminding me of for like the last two days. <laughs> but no, like he—he's very much. If you if you like stuck Crowley Lucifer's head on Crocodile's body because it, it a lot of it is just fashion and hairstyle and lack of eyebrows and whatnot. But like it. It's really, it's a really strong connection in my mind now you said it. Like, I totally get that feeling. Okay, good. I'm, I'm glad I'm not, I'm glad I'm not the only one who, who thinks that. Cause it's like, I, 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 like, as soon as I thought that, I couldn't unsee it. Oh, no, totally. Like, I, I can, I can really feel that. Um, th- there's a lot of interesting, weird things in science. I don't think there's a lot of things where I think a catch feels like a ripoff, but there's some things that do confuse me sometimes. Like, uh, so Master's whole deal was that she's dressed up as a ninja all the time to the point where it's kind of revealed to turn around and go and say, hey, she was a woman as well, right? Uh-huh. But the thing that gets me is inside her uniform, she's wearing a hair clip that looks like a shuriken, and that can't be comfortable, <laughs> right? Like, I know it's a design thing so that when she's out of uniform, you can be like, oh, she's a ninja. Uh, Una and the Haunted Hot Springs actually has a very similar thing. But, like, that that bugs me a weird amount for something that's completely inconsequential. <laughs> Well, Raker. Raker's something that gets me. So she goes on about how, with all her jobs, her money pretty much goes into maintenance of the uh, the iDroid technology she uses to see. 
And at first you think, oh yeah, that's probably pretty expensive. Then it turns out one of the eyes is a giant satellite and you're like, she can't be getting paid that much. <laughs> like, <laughs> no way. <laughs> what, what, I, what I find pretty wild is that um, Master can just throw shurikens from the Earth into space. Like, that shouldn't be possible, but it is apparently. <laughs> oh my god. I, so I was pretty floored the first time I saw that. Like, okay, I guess I'll just accept it. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like actually that's probably the time I'm putting it. If because we because we're getting towards the end here, I think. Yeah. If if I were to really think of Stealth Symphony in any particular way, it's the sort of comic where you have to accept everything that happens and just be like, yeah, okay, sure, and move on to the next thing. Whether it's because you know there's a twist coming or because there's so much things happening in it. Like, while reading it, it doesn't feel like you can really stop to think about the the implications of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I I think we are kind of getting we're kind of winding down here because I'd like there, there's so much that I think we could talk about Stealth Symphony, but like I feel like we hit on a lot of points that like we really wanted to touch on. Except actually, I forgot I totally wanted to mention that, um, or maybe I mentioned it earlier in the podcast and I and I just forgot. I wonder if the series had gone on because you know we have that big thing where like you know Jig is ultimately killed off, which. Again, it's such a huge moment that, like, I wasn't expecting. I wonder if the series had gone on that, like, Narita maybe would have used that as, a as a, like, a springboard to maybe, like, develop Troma more as a character and maybe kind of, like, slowly, slowly, like, wean him off of his, um, of his philosophy. Well, I, I was thinking about this a lot, actually, because, um, oh, it was a very, very split thing I was thinking. So if Stealth Symphony, instead of being, like, this larger story about Jig, what what if Jig was the first storyline? Yeah. And then, say, they, they abandoned the, the human trafficking thing a bit, which I know I keep saying, but genuinely, I feel like it takes away from how I would have liked the series to go. Um, and if it, it, they'd just gone in and out, the, this, like, crazy... 12 15 week storyline about jig turning up going through the whole process of getting a job and that the big twist happening and it ending with i mean troma and arm down uh sawyer revealing like his strange past and that he's he's the only undead in the story i think which is kind of wild because they're mentioned really early on and it builds this world so if it if it had done all that finished that and then gone here's our next story about troma and character b you know I, I feel like it could have been amazing yeah i don't know like it, it feels like it feels like there was a there's probably a bigger purpose for that scene but obviously you know it still symphony ended when it did so we're never gonna see it so yeah and that's my main takeaway from stealth symphony i think is that it's a series where i I really want more because I feel like there is more that could have been done there, even though it wrapped everything up. Like it, it's a really rich comic. Yeah, that's that's my that's my thing about the series too. Is that like I am slightly disappointed that we're never going to get any more because there are so many like big ideas that Narita obviously had that if the series had gone longer, uh, he would have taken the time to really kind of like build up and explore. Um, and there would have been a lot of great payoff, I think, down the line. But for for what we got, it is the least disappointing canceled Shonen Jump comic I've ever read, which I think is really saying something. <laughs> Even outside of like whatever series I've read that 
weren't ever picked up by Viz. Like, you know, I've, I've, I've read one or I've read a few other canceled series in, in my day that like, you know, I used to follow weekly through various means and, uh, Oh yeah, yeah. And, like we we don't need to beat around the bush. Like we've we've both done our our bad deeds in time. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it it's it's pretty high up there for ones I feel like satisfied with as a cancelled comic. Yeah. If I had to put it on a scale, I'd put it above stuff like uh above stuff like Double Arts, which is one of those big ones people really lamented the loss of. Uh, now Shikomi's series before Nisekoi, which was supposed to be his like big rocket to fame, and then fell apart like it 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 really is incredibly good like r- really it's only really below like hoopman and cross manage for me maybe and even then with cross manage it's a closely run race oh man i really need to get the cross manage <laughs> i mean it's worth doing as one of the only ones you can still actually buy in english it's worth doing but no yeah i think uh just out of the ones we've covered on the show officially like stealth symphony i think is so far, the one that I feel most comfortable recommending to people actively. I mean, I've got to check what I've rated. I've got to check what I've rated it on Analyst. But I, I feel like by talking about it today, I've, like whatever I've rated it, I've got to add like an extra star because it really, it really is a, a good comic. I think I gave it like a seven out of ten just because I, again, for something that got canceled, I feel like is way more solid than it should be. <laughs> oh yeah, like it. It's the sort of series where I think if you gave it to a lot of people, they might not actually realize it was cancelled, which is pretty uncommon. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I guess just to explain, like, my rating system, like, I usually give sevens to things that, like, I either, like, I, I at least enjoyed or stuff that, like, I thought is, I think is, like, solid, but isn't stuff that, like, I'm necessarily, like, ride or die for, like, say, uh, Gintama. <laughs> Um, but that's just kind of how I rank things personally. Uh, what, what, what did you give it, Maxi? Uh, I'm, I'm literally, I'm trying to find it on, on my analyst, but the problem is, is I've, I've read so many goddamn comics, <laughs> which sounds like boasting, but it's not. I feel intense shame <laughs> about the amount of things I've read because, you know, I, I should really get out more. <laughs> uh, I, I will say as default, I, I like using a star system. I tell you what, I will say officially, whatever I had originally given it, I'm upping that to four stars. <laughs> uh, star systems I find are good because it it's a lot harder for people to do that thing of going, oh, you rated it the same as this, so it must be as good as this. Because when you've only got five points, it's like you can say, yeah, but there's no nuance here. Ignore it. Uh, huh. You, you gave Stealth Symphony two stars. Oh my god, what was wrong with me? <laughs> yeah that's that's going up two star points i think it's because before i started revisiting stealth symphony i was mostly thinking of that human trafficking storyline and how much i just <laughs> didn't dig it because even when rereading it now like it probably works out to about a quarter of the entire comic but it it really drags mm. so yeah i i guess it depends on the patience of the reader because like well, while i thought it wasn't anything special um i think reading it weekly probably feels a lot more um arduous i guess because i mean obviously that's part of the reason why i initially dropped it but um like reading it in one go i don't think is as bad but i i do agree that it's it's like the least interesting part of the entire story (laughs) even with the neat twists with who the chairman of the company is like it's still kind of eh. which which is which is weird to say about an arc that involves 
pieces of a broken truck being formed by water into a giant truck water robot. <laughs> oh yeah, no, <laughs> this is the thing. There's still amazing stuff happening in this. Um, it, it feels strange to be so critical about it because I feel like in any other comic I'd be like, oh, this was fine. But I think because it runs counter to to how much I loved every single other chapter in this comic, it just it really wound me up somehow. I, I will say, like we're we're talking about it now. Uh, it's pretty hard to read Stealth Symphony in English now because it was never collected into volumes, whether physical or digital. Uh, which is kind of a nightmare, and it's a recurring problem for us when we're talking about uh, a lot of these things. Hi-Fi Cluster had it too. Yeah. And it's kind of a shame, because I feel like... I don't know if this would be, like, a good seller, but I feel like if you had just all three volumes available, they'd, they'd still sell steadily, like, all the time to people curious, especially, like, off the name of, like, Ryogo Narita. Like, people are going to be interested in it. And uh, it also makes it really hard to recommend to people. <laughs> yeah, it it really kind of hurts me a little bit that, like... And I know I'm probably going to throw a little shade here, and I apologize to Annalise, but I mean, like, it kind of hurts me that Takama Gahara is available, but, like, Stealth Symphony isn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? I, I liked uh, Takama Gahara, right? I agree. I, I, I feel like out of every single cancelled comic visitors running weekly Shonen Jump, the one that I'm most bummed isn't collected in volumes is this. And you can still get it. I mean, we'll, like, I'm sure it'll be in show notes or whatever, but like, it is on Bookwalker and eBook Japan that you can buy it in Japanese. And if, if you want to jump through hoops to like feel better about reading it whatever way you want to, that's the way to do it. Buy it, then do whatever sure uh, no judgment so yeah the th th thankfully there there is a way to buy it so that's good yeah there, there's still a way of showing your support to what is one of the most interesting cancel comics we will probably ever actually talk about <laughs> i mean that's it's probably not wrong i mean who knows there, there may be one day in the future where we talk about some of the stuff in japan and i'll get to tell you about like the complete insanity that is Yoshio Sawai's Chagacha, the quickest cancelled comic in Shonen Jump ever. Oh yeah, I should probably put that on the list. I mean, it'll, it'll be one to do one day. I've I've got to actually buy the, the volume of it in Japanese at some point. Because it's just, it's... Oh, it's tragically bad, but it's so interesting. <laughs> it, it would definitely be something to talk about. Oh. Uh, but no, like, Stealth Symphony. Really, really good. Better than it should be. Yeah. Like, if if you were subscribed to Shonen Jump in, what was it, 2015? Uh, 20, 2014. 2014. If you were subscribed to Shonen Jump in 2014 and you've just, like, not read Stealth Symphony, go back to those issues. It's worth reading. If you started a Jump subscription in February 2014 and still have it running past July 2014, then you, you have the issues that include Stealth Symphony. Um, which th thankfully I did, otherwise I wouldn't have been able to read it. <laughs> well, yeah. And it, it it feels strange that that's how we have to explain to people how to read stuff in English, but that su such such was the state of how this stuff worked before. Um, I mean, is that how it is for Robot Laser Beam now? Is, I don't think that ever got announced for print, did it? Um, I don't think so. Um, I'm sure. May I'm sure maybe maybe it could get like a digital release at least. See that that's that's what I want Viz to start doing is you know like I understand like it's probably asking too much to get some of this stuff in print, and I I understand that. But it's like you know if you're not going to do print, like I don't think it would lose too much money if you did a digital only release. I think pe people would still probably bitch about it, but like there'd still be a way to read it. Oh yeah. 
it'd be really neat. And it it's strange that yeah, oh, wow, yeah, they really didn't do anything with it. Um, it it feels like this shouldn't be the way that these Shonen Jump things run anymore, especially because like Robot Laser Beam ran a year. It, it ran a year, and that's a long period of time where you had to have been buying Shonen Jump to be able to read that that English release. Yep. Uh, and Stealth Symphony, that was half a year. That wasn't nothing, you know? Like, And the, the issues aren't... They're not expensive. They're ridiculously cheap. But to have to have... To have to have had to be reading... That was difficult to say. These issues to like be able to go back and read something that had clearly a lot of work put into it is really a bummer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a really unfortunate side effect of this bringing over a certain series like these. I, I really hope they do something about that at some point. Not just that, but it's made me realize that if we ever do one of these about, like, Robot Laser Beam, because it was cancelled, that's going to be hell to reread. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how storage works for you, but, like, I just... Uh, as far as, like, the Viz app goes on my phone, I just kind of have it... Because you, you can, like, set it to uh, however many gigs of space you want your uh, digital comics to take up on your phone, at least. And uh, I just have mine set all the way up, just so I don't have that limiter. Uh, it helps me, personally, but, you know, I, like, people organize their stuff differently, so... Mm, I just... My, my phone doesn't have a lot of storage on it, and I, at any one moment in time, have, like multiple gigabytes of comics on there that i'm flicking between uh like any if anyone follows me on twitter if they see a thread where i do uh my currently readings uh like i, I will be reading a lot of comics very fast all the time <laughs> so like uh go, going back for old issues of jump is slightly difficult i could only have two issues at once on my phone without filling up my storage so like it 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 took a bit it took a little bit to actually read through stealth symphony all right but uh i i think we're about ready to uh, to end, to end this here, um, Maxie, thank you so much for coming on and talking about more canceled jump things with me. Um, I cannot wait for the next one, as I still haven't decided what we're going to cover next, but we'll we'll figure it out. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always love the chance to come on and talk about them because like uh, a lot of these series, I I won't think about once they're done because <laughs> you, you well because you can't really afford to with a lot of jump series. They come at you so fast and so frequently, you don't really get to sit down and think. What did I think about this? Like you, you just kind of have a vague memory and move on. Like I rated this two stars, reread it, and loved it. So like clearly, I just hadn't been thinking about the bits that were good about it this whole time. And I mean, that's why that's why I'm glad that these podcasts exist, because it's like, you know, sometimes I'll be like, hey, what did I think of Hi-Fi Cluster or whatever? I'll just go back and listen to that a little bit. So, you know. Yeah, it, it becomes a really, a, a really interesting way of revisiting comics that are really treated as disposable by their own publisher. So I'm, I'm always glad to keep doing these with you, man. <laughs> um, but uh, where can the good people find your stuff? Okay, uh, first and foremost, you can find me on Twitter at MaxiTheB. Uh, it's mostly me talking about whatever catches my interest at any one moment in time, usually manga and comics and Transformers. Uh, but it's also a great way to get updates on the other stuff I do, such as Friendship Effort Victory, uh, the returned podcast where I talk about the various titles and history of Weekly Shonen Jump. Uh, it, it literally returned uh, just over a week ago now. The next episode, uh, as of this recording, the next episode should hopefully be up by the time this goes up, uh, if that times out correctly, um, which will be about Black Clover. It's It's got a fun little channel switching uh, mechanic to how I do it all. So it's like just cuts away to random bits of audio or fun little segments. It's a, 
I'm, I'm trying a new approach to make it more enjoyable for me to record it, and people seem to be liking it, so fingers crossed I don't just stop after five episodes this time. God, poor season two of French Perfect Victory, it never really lived. Uh, what else do I do? I, I've said you guys can find me on Analyst, and really though, those are the three things to, to pay attention to at this moment in time. Uh, French Perfect Victory, if, if you were subscribed to it on iTunes conveniently it turns out that that feed is now updating again without me having to do anything so congratulations <laughs> <laughs> otherwise you can find the podcast on friendship effort victory on any sort of podcatcher uh i i use uh, uh apple's podcast app because that's what i've got does the job uh I think that that's about it, really. Uh, written, written content will be coming back to the Friendship Effort Victory site soon. I've got to catch up on a lot of comics, and the problem is with the nature of reviews is you need to do them while while the iron is hot. Uh, hopefully, I, I'm I'm trying to get my thoughts together on the two new Shaman King series, which had their first volumes out at the moment. So, with any luck, there will be reviews for those going up in the near future. And that's about it. Okay, so I had no idea where to put this during our discussion, but I did not want this podcast to end before uh, I told everybody listening that Slice has a dragon heirloom called the MacGuffin, and its ability, I think, if I remember correctly, is to cancel the ability of other dragon uh, heirlooms. So, yeah, I just I just wanted everybody to know that. Like, I know it's not really important to anything, and we're all, and we're done with our Stealth Symphony discussion, but. Like, Maxie and I would have been remiss if I released this podcast and did not tell the whole world or anyone listening that he had such an item. Like, that's such an amazing little... I don't know if it's supposed to be, like, a quick, subtle, like, literary jab. I don't know, but it's pretty... It's pretty great. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so hope everybody enjoyed our discussion of Stealth Symphony. Uh, like we said in the show, you can find Maxi over at uh, friendshipeffortvictory.com or on Twitter at Maxi the Bee. And as where you can find uh, your usual host of the podcast, uh, Lum couldn't make it on the show uh, either because of Anime NYC one weekend and then the weekend you're listening to this that I put this up. Uh, it's obviously you know holiday weekend for us in uh, in North America. It's Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, he's off with his family doing whatever. Being a family, I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, uh, obviously he couldn't make it to this episode. And uh, he's probably not going to be on the next episode next week. But uh, he will be back on the podcast soon. Um, so don't worry about that. But in the meantime, I'm sure he would appreciate it if uh, you followed him on Twitter at Lum Ramayasha. And also find him as Lum Ramayasha on other places such as uh, My Anime List, Annie List, uh, the Animation Revelation Forums. And also check out his uh, his reviews on allcomic.com. Um, and as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I do a few other podcasts, such as Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast, even though it's on a bit of an indefinite hiatus at this moment. Uh, we still have a huge backlog of episodes that you can listen to, especially if you not only like Gintama, but you're a fan of the Gintama Manga uh, that was uh, released by Viz Media back in... All, all the way from like what was it like tw 2006 to 2009 somewhere around there it's canceled now so it doesn't matter uh but please go listen to that podcast over at get to life as well as one podcast prevails at one podcast prevails.com 
Uh, same kind of show, except my friend Doctor from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcast and I talk about Detective Conan or Case Closed, whatever you want to call it, which is still being released by Viz Media, by the way. I really enjoy recording that show as I am a fan of Detective Conan. Uh, so yeah, please go listen to that again. That is at onepodcastprevails.com. Um, but as for all comic and the podcast in general, you want to go visit all-comic.com to basically, uh, look up every episode of Manga Mavericks because that's where we post every episode first. Uh, you want to follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow Manga Mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks as well as mangamavericks.tumblr.com. Uh, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mangamavericks. Uh, email us anything about uh, the podcast. What are you reading? Uh, what do you think of Stealth Symphony? Uh, you know, what do you, what do you want us to read on the podcast and review? Uh, email us about any of those topics of, su- of uh, suggestion, discussion, whatever, at mangamavericks at gmail.com. We will read them on the show. We love getting your emails. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever you call it. Uh, it really helps the visibility of our show. Uh, so we would very much appreciate it if you did that. But that's going to be about it for this episode. Again, uh, tune in next time uh, where we essentially just cover a whole bunch of news because there's just enough news out there that it's time for another all-news episode. Uh, who I'm going to be getting on for that episode, you'll just have to wait and see. Um, but you probably already know who it is because, you know, we have like probably like three people that we have on the show back and forth. Uh, in and out, uh, you never know. Uh, but anyway, this has been episode 67 of the podcast, and we will see you guys next time for episode 68. Bye, guys. Bye.